This is one of the things that the 43 Group is known by and should be known in the future, that you do not wait to be attacked. You take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you. We did find ourselves in a very tricky situation, sometimes outnumbered. Anything you do to deter people from nasty things they want to do was uh, a good thing. Hello, welcome to episode number 24 of Radio 43. This is the weekly anti-fascist bulletin from Hope Not Hate. Uh, if you're new to the show, this is where we go over some key events from the previous week uh, from the UK far right. My name is Nick Spooner. I'm joined by my colleagues, Roxy and Joe. How are you both doing? How's the Christmas shopping going? Oh my God, don't talk about that. Really? Joe, wow, all we've done. got polar opposites here. Joe, you've done it, done it all already. Well, if you don't buy presents for many people, then you don't have to play that long. <laughs> no, actually, that's not true. I, I bought loads of presents, but I um, I've, I feel bad as I bought them all on Amazon, but I, I just did it in one Uh-oh. go. Uh-oh. I know. And um, I just did it. In, I know. And they all arrived the next day in a box. It's just so bloody efficient, isn't it? Even if it is evil. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. I, and Roxy, I'm, you're I'm, scrabbling around desperately at yeah, the moment, are you? I haven't even like, thought about it. Is that bad? That is quite bad, isn't it? I mean, you could... Yeah. The... Well, I, mean, I hope you thought about some of it because our Christmas party's tomorrow and there's a secret Santa, so you better have bloody sorted that, that is out. not true. I, um, yeah, we've got secret Santa tomorrow and I know what I'm getting, I just haven't got it yet. And Spoon's been confirmed that it's a sick present. Yeah, it's excellent. I, I may or may not have also purchased it uh, last night, so... <laughs> but... Oh, right? Yeah. Mine, but... mine was easy. I just, uh, I just signed a copy of my book. um i uh yeah i'm still way behind my mind and i also just realized i haven't done my secret santa present for tomorrow so that's extremely bad news um uh anyway well that's put a sour note on the start of this podcast let's let's get cracking anyway but before we do i just want to circle back quickly on to stuff we talked about last week um namely the pa report uh it's been out there for a couple of weeks now um, and you know, as Roxy and I were kind of saying last last week, it's a it's a really good piece of work, Joe, and you, you know, you and the research team should be very proud of it. Um, I think what's really interesting is that there's kind of been very little from PA, PA on it since it since it came out. I mean, there's been a post on their website which I read, which is basically just a thousand words of them saying, "Oh, you should be called hate, not hope." Uh, I just, by the way, as well, if anyone's listening who who tweets us saying. Uh, oh, you should be called hate, not hope. If we had a quid for every person who who does that, we would never have to send out another fundraising email. You're all very, very basic, every single one of you. Not doing it. Um, but yeah, so basically nobody's really said anything of any value. Um, the, uh, as, what, as, have you seen anything differently, Joe? But no, no one's sort of denying no, any no, of the no. content, have they? No, 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 absolutely. I mean, there's been no serious disputes of, about any of it. I mean, I think it's actually, this is why... Partly, I mean, I speak to lots of anti-fascists who sometimes ask, you know, why, why do you store up information and, and then drop it in one big go? Why don't you kind of drip it out? And, you know, we sat on a lot of that information, you know, it was quite frustrating at times, but for months and months and months in some cases, some over a year. Um, 
And, and part of it is, is if you box it up in the right way and you hit them with it hard enough, it's very hard for them to do. Firstly, there's a huge amount of internal scrambling that then happens. You know, all the phone calls that were going around within PA saying so-and-so's name's been released. What have they got on you? Who's that? You know, all of that. So there's a lot of sort of internal discussion that happens off of it. But also you kind of knock them for six a little bit. You know, you, know, you unbalance them. And, it, it, you know, it just they had very little option. I mean, we were really proud of the report because there was so much in there we thought that, that really damaged them. And they didn't have much they could say about it. You know, there was nothing in there that they've been able to say was incorrect or false. I mean, even some of it, you know, like the stuff we mentioned about Collet and, and his kind of involvement with national action. You know, some anti-fascists this the past week have released messages from Ben Raymond, who we'll get onto, the guy from national action. But it, it, even Ben Raymond kind of was saying that the Collet sought a leadership role in PA. So even that bit was vindicated. So everything in there, there's nothing in there they could challenge. And so it kind of leaves them in a bit of a difficult situation, really. And so they've been scrabbling around. And, you know, a few people like Fennec Solera, we, we kind of talked about, who had written one of the main writers for Patriotic Alternatives website, he, as far as we can see, seems to have stopped writing since the report dropped. And so may have stepped back or been fired, we don't know. But, you know, there's lots of uh, lots of little bits. People, Certain people have gone silent. We've seen lots of Telegram channel, people change their names and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's not much they can say. I think we hit them and we're really happy with it. Chris Mitchell as well, the former PA organiser, uh, confirming the Dean Morris link. I think that's also uh, been quite interesting. Um, for those of you who are new to the podcast, Dean Morris, who we talked about last week, he's Somerset-based Nazi who was convicted of stockpiling explosives last year. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, like you say, lots has been corroborated. You know, nothing. no one's really pushed back on anything substantial. So, um, uh, so yeah. I think it's, you know, a great piece of work. Well done. Um, let's move to our first story, which is about Ben Raymond. Uh, we, we, we touched on this br- briefly last week, just as, uh, cause it, because the story broke just minutes before we um, we hit record on the, on the podcast. But uh, I think given its significance, let's take a, a quick minute here just to get your reaction, Joe, on the Ben Raymond case. Um, first of all, actually, uh, Roxy and Matthew Collins, our head of research, did a podcast uh, last week, end of last week on this. Uh, a big, a, a bigger podcast. So please do, do go and check that out. But he's been given eight years plus two additional uh, on, on license post release as well, Joe. So how significant is this? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, yeah. So as you say, I mean, we kind of touched on it last week, but he was um, convicted of possessing a manifesto by by Anders Brevik, kind of the Norwegian mass terrorist and the guide to homemade detonators. And, and it looks like he's going to serve quite a while in prison. He's been given eight years, but he will certainly serve five years and four months, it looks like, um, before he'll even be considered for parole. So he's going to be inside for a while. I think a lot of this goes, I mean, this is part of, we've talked about on this podcast recently over the, over the last year. There's been so many arrests, so many people going down. Um, and often there's this debate about does prescription work? You know, does the banning of something like national action work? And often it hasn't worked because the people haven't then been arrested for breaking the law after the, the, this happened. This was a big problem with Al-Mujah Haroon and Anjan Chowdhury's lot. But clearly, as, as we've said a few times in the last few years, there's been a much more concerted effort to, to wind up these networks by the police. And this is another example of this. You know, he's been kind of tied up for kind of continuing membership of something that was since banned. And and look, he's got another dangerous guy off the street. He's a very peculiar character. If you haven't Googled him, go and Google him just to look at his moustache and oh have God, a look yes. at some of the pictures of how he turned up in court. The guy is remarkably strange. But... Um, <laughs> You know, it's good news. There's a dangerous guy with a kind of very, very nasty, dangerous politics, clearly moving towards very extreme violence. So it's good news that he's been given given a proper sentence. I think his influence on radicalising young neo-Nazis in the country towards violence as well is, is 
you know something that shouldn't be um under understated really and you know we spoke last week about his links between na and uh national action and, and patriotic alternative but i think that means that there's you know there's former acolytes of raymond who are who are in pa who are who followed the same white jihad ideology so i think it's you know it's deeply concerning uh his role is deeply concerning and i suppose it's symbolically important on one level but there's clearly it's by no means the end of the story is it yeah, no, and, and, and I think, I mean, we've talked again about this, but, but like, I don't necessarily think longer sentences and all these things are necessarily the answer to these things. I'm not a big advocate of big prison sentences in general and all that sort of stuff, but sometimes I think when it comes down to an individual like this who co-founded a, a kind of neo-Nazi terror group that was clearly, uh, you know, I mean, he, the guide to homemade detonators is really important. But, you know, it's, certain people cross a line where a custodial sentence is necessary and, um, and keeping them off the streets is, is an important way to kind of dampen their effects. And I think this is one of those cases where it's pretty clear. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Let's, uh, let's move on to our second story, which is um, about the RNLI, who have been back in the news again this past week. And we've been out batting for them um, because the RNLI is awesome. So what have you two... You know, what's, what's been going on? What have you two noticed about this story? Um, yeah, I guess I'll come in here. I, yeah, I just so, yeah, as you said, they've been in the news again. Um, Britain First have launched a campaign to um, bombard the RNLI uh, with complaints. So they opened up this like, on, online form for their supporters to, to basically send harassing messages to the RNLI um, about their uh, quote-unquote treacherous activities, saving lives at sea. Can you imagine? Um, <laughs> so I, I checked the uh, I checked the form this morning, and they have the uh, uh, I think there's about three thousand four hundred uh, supporters. Which I'm I'm going to hedge my bets and say that that number is massively inflated anyway. Oh look, uh, look, I, look, I can't I can't prove it, right? But Britain First's petitions, I don't. They, I mean, like usually what I do is I take off the the thousand. <laughs> so like if it's if it's 3200 i'll take off 3000 because these petitions launch and then by the time i find them two hours later they're at like nine thousand people there is absolutely clear that this there's like jiggery pokily going on here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's also worth noting that so um we launched a a campaign uh, in response to this to send messages of solidarity to our NLI and uh, we've got 15,000 real signatures as of this morning so um yeah uh, we love to see it I, I Joe I I was thinking about this and obviously it's not a very like popular line of attack to go after after the RNLI um it'll be interesting to know what, why you think what you think they were trying to achieve and whether they were successful at that or do you think this has kind of left them looking a little bit stupid i mean they always look stupid but yeah. well i think this is one of those examples certain things that the far right believe and do are, are kind of consciously designed to like access the mainstream so like we talk often about far right transphobia from a lot of their perspective it's a conscious thing because they think there's a societal position that people agree with um, in some cases, they do things which clearly ostracize them from wider society, right? And, and like Holocaust denial, in some cases, at the most extreme end is a good example of that. But this is a good example of this. They're going up, they're showing a clear divide between generally what society thinks about this issue uh, and what the far right think about it. So, you know, most people think the RN Light is wonderful. Why? Because it's a volunteer-led organization that saves lives. It seems like a really obvious one. But if you've spent the last three years within the far right looking at 
cross-channel migration as this invasion of Britain and this narrative that, you know, men of fighting age are being shepherded to Britain by some sort of conspiracy, and the RNLI are central to that, then obviously the RNLI are no longer volunteers that save lives. They are kind of consciously attempting to help the invasion of Britain by ferrying young fighting age men across the uh, channel. And so from their perspective, it's one of those ones that is really deaf, you know, like to, to how people generally think about the RNLI. But for them, you know, the RNLI has been taking a huge amount of stick for the last two years because they've been out in the channel doing their job and saving lives. It's similar, uh, it reminds me of like 2017 when it was the so-called migrant crisis and Generation Identity rented that boat out into the Mediterranean and they were trying to disrupt the rescue efforts of like things like Medicine Sans Frontier and, and these big NGOs. And it was another, that was a good example. Again, how the far right thought this was a great piece of work, whereas most normal people thought, how on earth could you want to, you know, get in the way of people saving lives? And it's a good marker of how different the far right can be and how extreme they can be on these sorts of things. No, totally. I was, I was going to say, this kind of happened in the backdrop of what happened in Hastings as well, where um, those people tried to stop the lifeboat from launching into the channel. Oh, that was awful. Think, that was so horrific. So bad. So bad. Do you think that that, uh, that and then this Britain First campaign is, is signifying a shift in public attitude at all? Or, or as you say, do you think it's just this kind of small minority of far-right activists who are kind of trying to ostracise themselves from wider society? Like, do you think there is a shift in public opinion too? Or? I mean, clearly with the, the, the issue of cross-channel migration is, is still, at the, what the polling suggests, still very high at the agenda for a lot of people in the UK, especially conservative voters. You know, it's a big thing about taking back control, our borders and all those sorts of narratives post-Brexit. And so the general issue is one that lots of people are very passionate about and kind of very worried about. And the far right are obviously part of that group. I think the dividing line is the RNLI when, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's a huge organisation that loads of people donate to as a matter of routine, of course, uh, you know, that you see when you're down on the coast that, you know, all of this is an example, of, I think, where Britain First have really dropped the ball in terms of the campaign strategy because they've managed to find an issue that loads of people agree with them on and they've managed to find a way of talking about it in a way that no, almost no one does. Um, the only thing, other thing I would say is, is um, I, I start seeing RNLI merchandise everywhere in the last couple of weeks now. I don't know because I just not noticed it before. Their bags are absolutely beautiful. They have these recycling cells like carrier bags and they have these big over-the-top bags. So if my mum is listening, I'd like one for Christmas. But they are like, their merchandise is amazing. Well, their donations have like tripled, I think, over the past couple of months. And Spoons, you were saying that your your mum had messaged you and she'd bought some Christmas cards from them or something. So it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's great for our ally, actually. Great publicity. Yeah, she um, yeah, she she always buys Christmas cards from... Uh from charities for, for for christmas and she um yeah she saw our, our our message about what was going on and uh and decided to pick up a whole load from uh from the rnli so yeah it's not it's kind of backfired doesn't it really for britain first <laughs> quite a big way rox do you want to um talk us through the next story as well yeah of course um so this is to do with uh the government's new nationality and borders bill um it's just been released in the new statesman that uh, clause nine of this bill could uh, leave two in five people in England and Wales from ethnic minority backgrounds uh, eligible to be deprived of their citizen status without warning. Um, the the analysis from the new statesman uh, new statesman uh, from ONS statistics finds that forty one percent of people from 
non-white ethnic minorities are likely to be eligible for deprivation compared to 5% of those categorized as white. Um, it, just like, it made me, this story made me so angry. Um, and I, I guess in like, the, in the dark shadow of the Windrush scandal as well, I was, Joe, I was wondering what you think this says about um, the government's approach to, to race and, and citizenship today. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, you're going to know more about this than me, you, you guys, I'm sure. But I think it's obviously really worrying for a few reasons. I mean, the most worrying thing is it essentially seems to send the message that certain citizens, especially, of course, mostly ethnic minorities, you can be born here, you can be brought up in the UK, you can have never, you have no other home, but essentially you remain a migrant to this country. Um, kind of your citizenship and your, your rights are contingent and, and precarious. And I think that is pretty dangerous and outrageous message to send and it, and it kind of sits it, it like it goes against you know a, decades of our understanding of what it means to move to a place make this your home make this your country etc and it sends a really horrible message to so many people that have made their lives here that if the government decide it because you're not essentially you know and it almost kind of creates this idea of an indigenous and a non-indigenous mm. populace and um and i think it's it's pretty Disgraceful. I mean, I think the wider legislation is worrying as well, but Clause 9, as you say, this kind of notice of decision to deprive a person of citizenship, you know, and the problem is, is that, you know, something like Shamima Begum, right, you know, in the Islamic State, I have, you know, I have no sympathy, I have almost no sympathy for that, that person. You make a decision to go out there uh, and get engaged in, in what the Islamic State were up to, I have no problem with you but the issue here is is that this kind of making this easier making the idea that it's easy i don't see why it needs to be easier to deprive people of citizenship than it is already um mm. i think it's pretty ugly what do you think yeah i mean i i think it's absolutely disgusting and i, I you know you you bring up shamima Begin there and i think quite a lot of people have been making reference to her and this with her case specifically i mean you know this happened a few years ago and a lot of people at the time were saying you know this you know like what she did or not, I'm assuming the vast majority of people hated what she did, but she was a British citizenship and she should be, you know, tried in this country and it sets a really dangerous precedent if she, if she has a citizenship revoked because it's illegal to make someone stateless under international law. Now, the government's response was, well, she wouldn't be made stateless because she could get Bangladeshi citizenship, which is where her parents were from, but she'd never even been to the country. So you're quite right. It's like, it feels like, it's making this kind of two-tiered citizenship for people who are white and people who are non-white. And when I was reading through this, like the, this article that the New Statesman put out, I was like, oh, like I'm mixed race. Like, does that mean that like, I could apply for Pakistani citizenship if I wanted? I'm only quarter, but I, I would still be eligible. I was like, does that mean that I could have my citizenship revoked if the government saw fit for it? And that is just completely bonkers how you could be deported back to a place you've never been before so I think it's deeply worrying um and you know should be you know should be campaigned against at every every possible point yeah it's also I think like without getting too into the nitty-gritty of it like it's the way it's going to be possible as well I mean it's it's the the principle itself is is unacceptable I think but it kind of gives Priti Patel or it gives the Home Secretary unprecedented power to essentially remove citizenship in secret, by the way, they don't have mm. to tell you, and yeah. they can deny you an appeal as well. Um, and I think we have to put this into a much wider sense of kind of if we look at the, the legislative pattern of the, the current government in terms of 
lots of legislation placing lots of power in the hands of ministers in terms of, you know, the same goes for the online safety bill, which we've talked about on this podcast, which is going to have, I think, or hopefully have lots of really positive elements. It still places a large amount of emphasis and influence on, in, in that case, the kind of uh, the, the Secretary of State. And there is this wider, which is kind of an anti-democracy move, which is moving away from broad elected officials, moving away from powers being in the hands of institutions and placing it in the power of decision makers like Pretty Patel, who can, as you say, if this legislation passes, remove someone's citizenship in secret and then the person won't even know. And if they do find out, they can't have an appeal. It's all pretty draconian, the way it's being done as well as what they're actually doing. No, totally, totally. Boons, did you um, did you have anything you wanted to add on this? No, I think you two have um, I think you two have uh, summed it up very well. It's just deeply, deeply worrying. I, how many people is it who are potentially affected by this? Six million or something? Six million, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, yeah, very, very worrying. Um, thanks to both of you for the for that. It's really, really insightful. Um, let's just wrap this up. Um, by talking about the Reclaim Party, which was set up by um, the the actor Lawrence Fox, um, seemingly to kind of just stoke endless culture wars. And it announced on Monday that, that, that a, a Tory councillor had defected to the party just a few days before polling in the, um, the North Shropshire by-election, which is next Thursday, um, as we record. Uh, and it seems that rather than Reclaim dropping a bombshell revelation, they've, they've really sort of dropped a bollock because this guy... His real name is Anthony Allen. He's a, he's a real piece of work, isn't he, Joe? What's his deal? Yeah. So, I mean, I can argue this round when I can argue it flat. In one sense, shock horror, a guy who's got big views ends up in the Reclaim Party. But I actually do think it's a bit more than that. So, as you say, like, Reclaim Party, uh, this is this kind of culture war obsessed political party set up by Lawrence Fox, who I'm really disappointed in because I used to love Lewis and I really I tried to watch it on Sunday night and I struggled, you know. But... Um, <laughs> You know, they did this big thing about top local Tory councillor, Anthony Allen, deflects to the party just 10 days before polling. And um, obviously, my colleague uh, Gregory looked into, looked into this guy and shock horror. The guy wasn't particularly senior councillor in the first place, but he was also pretty extreme. And um, kind of the Facebook was littered with vile kind of anti-Muslim sentiments, abusive messages, support for Tommy Robertson. Um, you know, I even said like Tommy for PM. And I think actually... What's interesting here is obviously Lawrence Fox and the Reclaim Party are kind of culture war obsessed, but you know, and there has been some overtures with Tommy Robinson and some discussion, like you know, that, that amongst supporters, etc. But for actually to kind of take on someone as a councillor and to big them up and say this is going to be our representative, someone who is so overtly pro Tommy Robinson or Stephen Yatsi Lennon, um, I think is actually a bit of a departure, and I think it's uh, it shows where Reclaim are and where they're willing to go, and I. I you know, um, obviously my hunch is, is that they hadn't looked into this. I mean, he's also, I mean, the guy's also endorsed the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, which we've talked about before, this kind mm. of deliberate plot to replace Europeans by immigration. And again, quite extreme far-right politics there, you know, uh, and something, again, I would have expected Reclaim to, to kind of distance themselves from that kind of conspiratorial far-right politics. So... They obviously got an opportunity, took it, got excited by it. And I think obviously no one bothered to check the guy's Facebook and realise what they've let themselves in for. But if they don't act and they decide that he's still going to be their candidate, despite the revelations from, from my colleague Gregory, I think it tells us where the reclaimed party are in terms of their openness to far-right individuals and politics, you know. You say it's a bit of a departure, but there, there, was, a, there's a there was a photo of um, Lawrence Fox and a couple of others with Andy No. Yeah. Um, as yeah, well. Yeah. So, I mean, that was from, I think it was from last year, maybe from the year before last. Anyway, either way, 
it was pretty early doors in for, for the reclaim party so there's always yeah, been that link there that. hasn't there yeah and no, i mean i remember taking pictures of lawrence fox with james dellingpole at various demonstrations in london earlier yeah. in the year or maybe last year and you know james dellingpole's pretty extreme in terms of the people he's been having on his podcast i think we even mentioned that last week by having more goth from patriotic alternative on etc so they're definitely in that orbit but having someone represent them as a candidate that's so overtly pro tommy robinson that's so overtly anti-muslim so, so kind of clearly uh, in supportive of conspiratorial far-right politics is a real statement for them if they're going to stick with it you know do you think it says anything about the tories as well the fact that this guy was a this guy was a, was a counsellor for them. I mean, I don't know the timeline. I don't know if it quite matches up, Roxy, I think you might have a sense of this as well. But, um, <clears throat> the, the, you know, clearly we've spoken before about the fact that the Tories are completely awash with racism and Islamophobia. So th their, their vetting processes are clearly not up to scratch anyway. Um, is there a chance? So go on. Sorry, no, I mean, we've published quite a lot about Tory Islamophobia in the last couple of years and lots of cases. So... No, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be any great surprise to find an anti-Muslim conservative councillor. And we've found lots of them. We've, we've published lots about them. Um, you know, we've been calling for action on this for a very long time. As, as long, you know, so have lots of other people, including some people within the Conservative Party, have been calling for the House to be put in order around the issue of Islamophobia. And, and it hasn't been. And yeah, so I mean, I think this also, you know, you can chalk it up to that one as well and say that there's, there's more to be done in the Conservative Party. And and as a result, it's not particularly surprising. Yeah, definitely. Roxy, we've just launched a campaign this morning about this. Do you want to say a couple of words on that before we before we wrap this up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we've launched a campaign um, yet yeah, this morning, as you say, um, to ask Martin Daubney, who is the deputy leader of the Reclaim Party and is then standing in the North Shropshire by-election. Uh, we're we're asking him if he if he's aware of Anthony Allen's kind of racist rhetoric and if he can endorse him. So um, yeah, please, please do go and um, look at that campaign and, and sign up to it if you're interested. Great, thanks very much. Anyone want to say anything else before we get out of here? Nope. No. Fantastic. Well, thanks to you both for your for your insights. Great to spend some time with you as always every week. Likewise. And a big thanks to oh, that's very, very kind of you. And a big thanks to Jake, our producer as well. Uh, big thanks to all of you. A big thanks to you for listening as well. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's really, really a big help. Um, and leave us a review if you can as well. Um, cool. Well, see you next week. I think next week will probably be the last one of the year, I think, potentially. So um, we better make it a good one. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll. Well, actually, I'm not around next week, so I'll say good. I'll say Merry Christmas to everyone now because I, I, uh, I've got things on next week, so I'm not around. Um, so this is me. This is me till, till the new year. So have a good Christmas, everyone, and thanks for listening. And uh, you know, try and take a break from fascists over Christmas if you can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll see you all in the new year. Yeah, I will. Happy Christmas to you as well, Joe. And um, yeah, we'll catch up with you in the new year for sure. Cool. All right. Speak soon, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye. You cannot prevent 50 people, 50 postmen or 50 dustmen from having anti-Semitic thoughts. But you can prevent 50 dustmen forming an anti-Semitic dustbin association. Take the fight of the enemy and attack those before they attack you.